Now, for something completely different, from east of the Rockies, here's Brian Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and people of all sexes, especially those of you putting another coat of red paint on the debt ceiling, it's time once again to release the Kraken, also known in tiny concentric circles as the two and only, together again for the first time to provide your weekly minimum requirement of news and comment the likes of which haven't been seen since the last issue of Poor Richard's Almanac or the current issue of Mad Magazine. For our thousand, for our hundred, for our three new listeners, Brian Wilson's my name. This week I'm once again typecast as a former broadcasting pronouncer with the uncanny knack of stimulating listeners across all demographics. Joining me, sporting one of Amtrak's commemorative Joe Biden railroad caps that's completely <laughs> dark inside and playing the part of Diogenes, its best-selling author, journalist, New York Post's one-man broadside on current events, returning from yet another dazzling appearance on New York's WABC radio, the man who put the beer in beard, the irrepressible James Bovard. Hello, James. Hey, Brian, thanks for your kind words. Uh, that's a that's a great line about uh, putting fresh red paint on the debt ceiling. I just I wish I would have thought of that yesterday. I would have stolen it. Well, hey, call me anytime. You just sit there, talk for a few minutes and pick out the things you like. It's no problem. It's nice to see you becoming a regular feature on the WABC talk radio shows. That's uh, that's very cool. You know, the Rudy and uh, Cos and Cosby and all the rest of that. That's uh, that's pretty nice. Pretty nice. It was fun. It's um, you know some fine hosts there, and it's a great audience, and it's uh, the the uh, the staff I've dealt with there have been excellent. It's just fun to bounce ideas around and know that you got an awful lot of folks uh, probably kind of uh, groaning and rolling their eyes at whatever I say. <laughs> well, not the ones that are reading the New York Post, as I as I recall, that is a pretty decent penetration up there in the large Apple. I hope that uh, I hope that one day uh, either uh, Curtis Lewa or one of the other guys, uh, who by the way I taught everything he knows about talk radio, that they <coughs> would have you on and do a little Q and A, uh, you know, with the uh, with the listeners. That's um, that's a lot of fun. As you know, we tried that a few times on some of the shows we did. So maybe that's not a good idea. But uh, <clears throat> getting, it worked out um, great out there in Northwest Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's not talk about that. Um, Turn the, your mercy. Uh, yeah, really. Thank you. But I got to say, uh, you know, with the uh, blockbuster pieces in the post, the quotable quotes on WABC radio, uh, that uh, that appearance on, uh, with uh, with the folks on Fox and Friends, I could see, uh, I don't know, I got this vision of you as the Big Apple's next multimedia maven. This is going to be uh, pretty cool. <laughs> well, uh, fine if it happens, but I'm sure it's held not in the edge of my chair, and I got other rocks to throw in the meantime. <laughs> well, look, on that note, getting down to business, uh, I know you're as relieved as I and Joe and the rest of the free world, now that those paragons of the Uniparty, Biden and McCarthy, have snatched America back from the brink of default with this latest work of legislative art you dubbed the No Biden Boondoggle Left Behind Act. Using your uh, your best working jaundiced eye to what do we owe this latest economic masterpiece? Um, well, most, uh, most politicians would uh, sell out their grandmother for a campaign contribution. And uh, politicians in both parties love to spend money that they don't have. So you got a bipartisan deal here to uh, boost the uh, federal debt ceiling by $4 trillion. 
And I think that the only thing that the um, that the practically the only thing that the GOP is getting in return is 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 a pat on the head and a photo opportunity at the White House. There are some minor changes here, but there are so many fundamental uh, huge problems in the uh, federal spending, and this simply glosses over them. And it uh, the uh, the worst part of this is it lets politicians pretend they've solved the problem when when in reality. Uh, the federal government, the federal spending is still uh, sending the nation over a cliff. Yeah, well, that's the uh, that sound you hear in the background is the can being kicked down the road. But as someone said not too long ago, we're running out of road. And the next, uh, that's uh, a good line. Yeah, next comes the cliff. You had a great line. Speaking of great lines, you had a great line in the uh, in your uh, in your post article. Today. The control over spending confers control over policy if politicians have brains and courage. But both are a wall in the debt deal. And and the thing that's so amazing about this is if you're of any age at all, you know, this is a fairly regular occurrence, a regular feature of Kabuki theater, the soap opera of Washington, where we're all going to die, the country's going to default, everybody's going to go to hell in a handbasket if we don't just spend more money, raise the debt ceiling and, and all the rest of that. I, it's It doesn't add to my confidence in in the in the human condition that the majority of taxpayers hadn't gotten wise to this deal and fed up at the same time. Uh, yeah, it's certainly, uh, it's, um, it, this is uh, one more boon for cynics here. Um, and it's the same pattern that's been going on, actually going back to the Reagan years, because I have memories of writing about some of the, um, the big budget compromises back then, and it did not stop Reagan from running up huge deficits, which set a very unfortunate precedent. Um, I think that the uh, that the biggest fallacy that kind of drives all this is uh, is the premise that federal spending is beneficial, so we should have more of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this is this is not an article of faith to which I subscribe. It's not part of the Jimbo Catechism. Uh, <laughs> but you have all these. You know, this is how the um, Washington Post and most of the other uh, major media cover the. Um, the uh, spending, uh, the, the debt ceiling controversy, because you're thinking, well, well, it's important for the government to spend money because it's helpful. I mean, it's and w- once you question that, then it's like the entire house of cards collapses. If you look at the uh, nuts and bolts of what the government's spending for, it's like, you know, why the hell are they doing that? Well, it's good for us because it's the government. And it's like, you know, I don't think so. Yeah, well, that is the uh, that is the catechism of the status. That's uh, that's for damn sure. Uh, but I thought we'd pick out the the three uh, those three little morsels that you put in your article just for clarification and information for those who didn't have the opportunity to read all the wasted trees that were used to print it up. The uh, FBI budget um, from 9.2 billion to 10.8 billion. And what a thrill that is, especially considering something else I wanted to talk to you about, which you also included in the piece, and that is Christopher Wray's, uh, the head of the FBI, thumbing his nose at uh, Congress oversight and the Constitution by refusing to respond to the subpoena for that unclassified document that he's apparently hiding under his desk. I I was kind of hoping that uh, that he would show the same reverence for the rule of law that Eric Holder showed. Uh, 12 years <laughs> ago. Oh, that's uh, you are the idealist. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 fascinating. Um, if my memory was is correct, what what the FBI is saying is that they is that they can't disclose that because 
it's from a confidential source or something like that. And and my thought, hey, dude, we're talking about the freaking president, okay? So you might lose a confidential source trusting you on this, but it goes to the heart of the um, the the credibility of the current uh, presidency. And uh, you know, you need a lot better excuse than, well, you know, we promised a confidential informant. You know, hell, I don't care what you promise. This is an issue that goes to the heart of uh, democracy at this point. So, however, um, you know, so uh, Kevin McCarthy is threatening to file contempt charges against the FBI chief if he doesn't hand over this 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 memo and perhaps other files on this. And um, you know, it sounds it sounds really impressive unless you have any clue about how the federal government works nowadays. So he files a a, a contempt charge and. Who is going to enforce that? The Justice Department. Yeah, that's going to work out great. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's always been the case. I mean, every time people have become outraged at the actions of a Bill Clinton or a Hillary Clinton or a George Bush or or or, or any anybody, any federal any federal official who has thumbed his nose at the law, at the regulations, and so on, everyone says they uh, arrest him, throw him in jail. You know that he's he's guilty of treason and and littering and other horrible things. They never take it to the point of the logical conclusion that in order to do that, somebody has to go and arrest him. Well, who's going to do that? And even if they did get arrested, who's going to prosecute it? When it's the guy of the same party, like you pointed out, you know, Merrick Garland's really going to get hot and bothered over this. And they've been sitting on the Hunter laptop for four or five years. It's 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 ludicrous. And you would think people would get more uh, outraged about something like that. Uh, than the the destruction of the rule of law and order and the Constitution and so on, rather than just the fact that you know some scumballs out there running around loose. You also pointed out the IRS uh, getting 98% of the 80 billion. So as Dan Bishop pointed out, as you quoted, there, instead of 87,000 more IRS agents, uh, there'll only be 85,260. Which I also heard a rumor they're going to be hired as janitors, armed janitors, so they can kind of move them in under the wire. Yeah, well, it's it's a good point that Dan Bishop made, and it, it's important for conservatives and Republicans to appreciate the moral victory here. I mean, it's a moral victory because the IRS is probably not going to get all eighty-seven thousand new agents and employees. So you know, you gotta you gotta take your victory lap where you can, and that's what Kevin McCarthy's doing. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm happy for him. I uh, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be uh, anything he's going to want to put in his resume. I, I, I haven't heard or read or seen, uh, but there was an awful lot of rumbling going on there for a while from the Freedom Caucus that if this thing went forward, that there was going to be a um, groundswell of effort to vacate uh, Mr. McCarthy's position at the as the uh, Speaker of the House. Any uh, any thoughts or any uh, rumors on that that you've heard, Jim? Um, you know, I've heard the same rumors and uh, same statements you have. Um, I don't know how it's going to shape out. I mean, um, we should have a clear idea of this in a few days or a week. I mean, there was an awful lot of uh, hot air that gets us, you know, floated in D.C. So. It'd be great if the if Congress could treat treat this agreement as a mulligan, like um, okay, it was a first swing and a miss, so let's yeah. do it over and uh, maybe do it right this time. The the House of Representatives passed a good reform bill a month or so ago, uh, but that was basically tossed out the window. 
Well, I like your point in the article, uh, which I had not heard uh, prior to reading and sounds like a terrific idea, was uh, Chip Roy, who's, who does great behind the microphone. I think uh, that guy is he's succinct, he's direct, he's fluid, he's articulate, he's on point, he gets right to it and uh, would probably make a great talk show host. Uh, anyway, you, you point out that uh, he had an idea of passing a short-term debt ceiling extension so they could take advantage, like you say, this is like a, like a mulligan, and actually get people in there with uh, with brains and balls to be able to uh, put something together that would be truly be workable, something that you could actually feel pretty good about, that there was a real step taken here, rather than somebody putting on their, their tap shoes and just giving it the same routine. I'm wondering if there is, as you said, another short period of political uncertainty is far better than taking another giant step towards national financial ruin, which I would I would hope that everybody in Congress that has a finger in this pie would would take a look at that and actually take it to heart. But <laughs> I know, I know, I know. You are the optimist. I know, optimist. I see, I know. But you know, you got to give voice to these things. You know, it's. I mean, it is a great thought. Um, <laughs> no, this is. Yeah, I mean, it'd be great if if the members of Congress gave a damn about the nation's financial future. Uh, it'd be great if they uh, had the um, had any kind of sense of uh, financial honor, but no, I mean they're just going to keep on throwing, the spending trillions of dollars that they don't have. And the uh, one of the worst things about this debt, uh, this this deal, is it suspends the debt ceiling until early 2025, so they can spend whatever they want to spend, and uh, who knows how many other foreign nations that they might decide to bail out in the name of democracy. Or I mean, bomb. It's, yeah. There's almost no discipline in this deal, but uh, it's spurring victory laps, and it's like um, it's uh, a very short term. So, well, that's why you're casting the role of Diogenes today, because he would have died of frustration if he had to work the DC market. But, ah, uh, ah. That, uh, uh, he would have gone hungry, that's for sure. Indeed. Um, but, you know, I'm also thinking that uh, this whole debt ceiling thing kind of worked out uh, pretty well as a smokescreen for some more odious things, one of which you wrote about, uh, well, this is kind of ancient history. we got to go all the way back to May 25th. Wow. Uh, the uh, biggest FBI spy scandal of the year, uh, all about the uh, FISA court uh, and the FBI, uh, or because of their opinion, managed to uh, stick their nose in the business of 278,000 Americans with a warrantless search. I uh, just kind of curious. Um, now, that may have not have made it to the evening news, but certainly by now, uh, someone's been arrested in this mother of all FBI scandals. Isn't it true? Um, maybe if someone leaked out details of the scandal, that person might have been arrested. But as far as the actual um, I, uh, FBI agents who did unjustified warrantless searches on 278,000 Americans, no, no, I mean, um, that was a clerical error. That's how it's being treated. And I, and it's funny, uh, this, is, this is a report that came out of the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, it came out of their Office of Transparency. And so the, the Office of Transparency told us how many warrantless searches of Americans the FBI conducted. It won't tell us who was searched, what the justification was, uh, or anything else, um, what sort of damage might have been done by the searches. But the story gets better because, so the uh, so this office says, yeah, there were 278,000 uh, searches that the FBI shouldn't have done on top of almost 3.4 million warrantless searches of Americans by the FBI 
that the uh, FISA court said was okay. And so I was reading about reading this report, and almost two million of those um, warrantless searches by the FBI of Americans were justified because of uh, suspected Russian hacking. Now, I know a few hackers. You might know a few hackers. Mm -hmm. Shit, there aren't two million of them out here, two million American hackers working for Russia. <laughs> Who the hell were they vacuuming up here? If there were two million of them, that'd be a good reason for Russia to go bankrupt. They'd have to pay those people, but that's for damn sure. Uh, pay them in rubles. Yeah, well, there, there's that. Yeah, yeah. What I was thinking of when I read that was how the numbers have changed from comparatively minuscule to almost incomprehensible. And correct me if I'm wrong, because you know you're the uh, you're the guy with all the facts. In fact, but I think we discussed this back when it was going on in one of our early conversations. There was a guy named Craig Livingstone. And he got caught, or fingered, as the case may be, of having purloined some seven, nine thousand files on various current and former uh, bureaucrats, senators, officials, representatives, whatever. And they were uh, very casually uh, used and abused over at the White House. And that somebody uh, found out about it. And uh, there was a great big kerfuffle about it. And when it all was said and done, it was just chalked up as, like you just said, a clerical error. And yep. uh, nothing, yep. nothing about it. Am I, am I reasonably accurate on that? Yeah. Yeah, that was from 93-94 uh, was when the, uh, the, when the file gate abuse uh, file took gate, place. Right. Uh, apparently the White House Chief of um, Office of Personnel Security asked for and received from the back, uh, FBI a lot of background reports on hundreds of individuals, uh, and it had a lot of confidential um, information in there on various uh, various GOP appointees and top presidential advisors. Uh, there was a uh, there was an uproar. He was forced to resign, and um, there was controversy that Hillary Clinton might have asked for and read the files. It was a brief hubbub, but it was you know going back then it was like. People had a little better understanding, perhaps, of like, well, maybe you shouldn't let government officials uh, see every detail about your life, every allegation as well. Because in these FBI files, there are a lot of, um, you know, just simple rumors and um, um, totally unverified stuff, unlike in your file. Don't worry about that. So. Yeah, well, it's true. That's very comforting. I was uh, I was just thinking about the the pattern seems to be the same. They get the information, they abuse the the information or use it for whatever their motives may be. But then when the truth comes out or the word comes out that this has been done, oh well, it was just a mistake. It was a bureaucratic snafu. Nobody's fingerprints were on it. It was just a a big. Uh, but you know, you got to figure that there, there there are copies of those files all over the place. Just like there's more than one copy of uh, of Hunter Biden's hard drive, you know, around somewhere. Those things don't just sit there idly by. And it's um, that information can be used, you know, at all sorts of opportune times to do uh, inopportune things. A part of my frustration with this story and so many other stories in this topic is that um, you know the um, you know the the feds issue a report and say, well. Yeah, there were 278,000 Americans who were unjustifiably searched by the FBI. Uh, it was a, um, you know, but don't worry, uh, uh, next year will only be 274,000 or something like that. But if you go back 10 years, um, and we're coming up on the anniversary, the 10th anniversary, the start of Edward Snowden's leaks. And prior to Snowden's leaks, the feds probably admitted 
fewer than 1% of their federal surveillance crimes. I mean, they're just horrendous abuses, which Snowden uh, exposed. And, you know, there was all hemming and hawing. I mean, the, you know, it was fine to watch the White House try to spin that. You had, uh, you had President Obama going on Jay Leno and announcing there is no spying on Americans. Okay, except for Americans <laughs> who might use the Internet or get an email or, uh, you know, whatever. It's just, it was so brazen, the, the level of denials. But, and Snowden put forward so much hard evidence that it destroyed the credibility um, of these federal agencies, but they managed to, uh, it's like a salamander growing a new tail, you know? Yeah, yeah. Time heals all wounds, or wounds all heals, as the case may be. The, uh, it's a, it is rather astounding. You know, you just wait for a few years, wait for the next news cycle, wait for the next black swan or red herring or whatever that comes wandering through, and that uh, that takes care of everything. You know, now we're going to be focused on the debt ceiling and the hell with the Durham report. Whatever happened to that? What happened to the classified oh. documents? What happened to you know all those things? You just they, they just poof, they're gone. Nobody's talking about them, hearing about them. Was there any resolution? Did anybody get approached? Uh, obviously, no one got arrested or went to jail, and uh, there isn't any cleanup in any of the agencies that failed to perform as they were supposed to, according to the Durham report. So even Christopher Wray can sit there and uh, flip the bird at Congress over a subpoena uh, with impunity. I, I just find that to be a, a hell of a testimony to the state of being, of the quality of our government as it currently stands. <laughs> but that's yep. just me. I, uh, yep. I'm starting to get some of that, that good old Bovard cynicism back. Ah, ah, By there's the way, a lot of uh, rascality here. So. Yeah. <laughs> Before we bring down the curtain, I do need to uh, tell everyone listening who wrote in, uh, uh, you're officially too late now to bid on Jim Bovard's Ford Pinto, the rare 1979 exploding <laughs> model with the Ralph Nader leather of condemnation that was up for grabs. Uh, with the help of the local Amco franchise, Jim made a great deal with the IRS to have it refurbished for use by one of the new 85,000 agents coming online under the guise of armed janitors that I mentioned earlier. The uh, vehicle is expected to uh, not raise suspicions on audit calls like the blacked out Suburban so popular with the BATF SWAT teams. However, I am uh, happy to report that Jim's new Schwinn is very sporty oh, and ride oh, at home oh. on the Vince Foster Memorial bike path through Fort Marcy Park. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I don't have a, a new Schwinn. I have a old an old Nishiki uh, 12 speed that's uh, basically made of steel. It's heavy, but it's solid and it rides great. And, and the best thing about uh, bike riding is it makes room for more beer. True that. True that, and made of steel. I suppose that the uh, doesn't even it doesn't even flinch at some of the fine road conditions that surround suburban Washington D.C. <clears throat> at least in the Maryland side, where the pothole is the national bird. We've come to the point now uh, where we are just 112 shoplifting days left till Christmas, and once again, we are compelled to remind you: don't risk finding a lump of coal in Grandma's fruitcake this year. Be smart. Shop smart. By ordering a case of Jim Bovard's best sellers and a couple of copies of mundane reading from uh, yours truly. Thrill everyone on your short list with fine reading materials from the never popular to and only. Just put James Bovard or Brian Wilson in the Amazon search bar and stand back. Your monitor will be filled to the brim with the complete collection of Bovard's big ones. 
as well as the incorrect URL for Brian Wilson's Greatest Hits. Uh, then just uh, let your fingers and credit card dance to the titillating titles of Bovar's Madness until you inflict a painful paper cut on the selection of your dreams. For your inner masochist, you can grab my free Substack subscription, Brian Wilson Writes. That way, you'll never miss another comment or syllable from your beloved to and only. On that depressing note, Jim Bovard and myself will be conjoined here next week to inflict as much humane damage as possible on what passes for the intellect hiding out in the recesses of your cerebrum. Don't say you haven't been warned. For the rising multimedia star, James Bovard. <laughs> And a guest appearance by Joe Ted as Trample the Wonder Rhino. I shall remain Brian Wilson until we pay off our national debt or parallel lines cross, whichever comes first. Oh, and don't fail to remember our separate but equally ego-stroking blogs, safely locked and loaded at jimbovard.com and brianwilson.net. Those are all the hackneyed old cliches we can regurgitate for now. Thanks for wandering through the minefields of podcasting with us. Till next time, pull the plug, Joe. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.